0: Good morning. I'm Angela Davis and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could be with us today. Family businesses are fascinating, but they're not always successful. Today, we're talking about a business that is being run by a second generation. Fifty years ago in Minneapolis, Fred and Erlene Estes had a dream of owning their own business and working for themselves. They bought a Hallmark store in 1973 and then expanded it into a small chain of gift shops. Over the years, as their two children got older... They brought the kids in to work in the stores. Today, their son Frederick is the president of Estes Enterprises. And for many years, their daughter Lisa was also a senior vice president. Over the years, Estes Enterprises shifted away from the Hallmark business. It now runs 15 retail shops inside the Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport and the Tampa International Airport. If you've flown out of MSP, you might have bought a phone charger or maybe a snack at one of the Estes shops. This hour, we'll talk about what it means to be in a family business. How do you... Juggle family and workplace relationships or decide whether to stay in the family business or leave. And as we talk about this, I want to hear from you, too. Our phone lines are open. Are you part of a family that owns or used to own a business? Do you work there? What systems are in place to make sure things run smoothly? And what causes problems within the family as you work together to run that business? You can call us at 651-227-6000. Again, that is 651-227-6000 or call 800 242 28 Let's bring in our guest. Frederick Estes is here, the president of Estes Enterprises and has overseen its expansion into the airports. Good morning to you, Frederick.
1: Good morning, Angela. Thank you so much for having us today.
0: Nice to see you. Thank you for being in studio with me. Also, next to Frederick is Lisa Estes. Uh, Lisa, you worked for the family company until 1997 as a senior VP uh, and for more than 20 years now, you've been an investigator with the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office, and you are Frederick's big sister. Good yes, I morning. Am. Good morning, Angela. The boss. I can tell by the body language. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, good morning to both of you, and thank you for being here. So I, I was fortunate to be able to attend the 50th anniversary celebration for Estes Enterprises uh, a few weeks ago. It was a, a joyous occasion, a wonderful party. Uh, each of you spoke. And you shared stories and some old photos of your parents. And, Frederick, tell me, what do you think your mom and dad would say today about the fact that the business is still going strong?
1: You know, Angela, I think they would be extremely pleased and honored to see that uh, we continue to operate the business and to see where we've taken it from Nineteen seventy-three to two thousand twenty-three. It's been a it's been a long journey, but I believe that they would be very happy and just honored and just uh, pleased and very proud to see that we have continued this business.
0: And how do you think they would ex- express their feelings about you still leading it?
1: Well, I think they'd be proud of it. You know, <laughs> they were two of my. Uh, Biggest supporters, two of our mentors, teachers, um, to teach us the business from the ground up. I feel that they would be very honored and just happy to see that we're continuing to do that and to follow in their footsteps and to expand what they created. They built a foundation, and now we're trying to build on that foundation and continue that legacy. I think the biggest piece of that legacy of keeping that going in the family and creating opportunities not only for other family members, but just other Small business operators within the community too.
0: Mm-hmm. And and Lisa, that night, uh, what was going through your mind? The night of the anniversary party, um, you were speaking. There were there was a slideshow of pictures. You were uh, reconnecting with people you've known probably since your childhood. Um, were you thinking a lot about your parents? I was. I uh, got a little emotional there.
2: I I knew, you know, if they were there, you know, they would have been ecstatic, you know, to see. The people that came out to celebrate um, the accomplishments that the you know we have done since 1973 Um, I just wish they were there because they it would have been just you know awesome time for them and to see that we've been able to sustain it you know through the ups and downs over all these
0: years I love seeing the old photos from the 70s and 80s and 90s Uh, Especially the pictures of your parents um, as a a young married couples. I I would love to know how did they describe uh, to you two, um, their kids, their desire to start their own business back in 1973? Lisa, what was happening in their lives at that time?
2: Well, you know, my dad um, actually worked at the University of Minnesota um, in the medical school and administration. And he'd been there since he arrived in Minneapolis around 19... Fifty seven, fifty eight, And while there, uh, he would train others, but they would get the job. And I think that kind of made him want to do his own thing because he's like, well, I'm doing all this work and Others are getting those opportunities, and he isn't. And so I think that what is what precipitated uh, him wanting to own his own business. Also, uh, Terry Evenson is one of the gentlemen who helped mom and dad get started in the business. Uh, they met him at NAACP meetings. Mm-hmm. And so I think what was going on at the time um, and uh, Terry's assistance, they decided, let's
0: do something for ourselves. That's that true entrepreneurial spirit. Like, wait a minute here. Yeah, I can do this. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what was that conversation, do you think, like with uh, with your mom that he came home? It's like, Earlene, I think we should do this. Or maybe she was always saying, planting the seed anyway. Well, you
2: know, I was pretty young then.
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, I think
2: they just wanted to, to make a go of it. Mom was a big supporter of dad and of our family, and anything that we did individually. And I'm sure she was on board with that and, and wanted to to do that.
0: And Frederick, uh, describe what the family business was in the beginning. What was it in the beginning?
1: You know, it was, um, it started as a uh, Hallmark greeting card store on the iconic corner of 7th and Hennepin, where Fogo de Chão now resides. Um, it was a Business, I think, as Lisa had mentioned, it's something that my father and mother had discussions about creating this business and creating opportunities for themselves, um, after seeing so many challenges that he was having as far as advancement. Um, it was, you know, we were both very young when the first store opened. We have photos that we didn't share all of those photos when <laughs> we were running around the store at that young age, but uh, there are some out there. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was, we learned as a family. Our parents brought us in at a very young age, probably broke some child labor laws. But when you have family there working for your parents, they can do that. Um, our pay was to have a roof over our head. And, um, you know, we learned at a very young age of hard work the um the importance of hard work to see my parents work both jobs. Actually, they worked both jobs during the first couple of years. Mm, yes.
0: Okay. And so in those early years, uh, it grew from one Hallmark store that they owned to seven stores. So how did that happen? What were the challenges of doing that?
1: Well, it was just, you know, it's opportunities trying to keep yourself prepared for when opportunities present themselves. So always, um, you know, as Lisa mentioned, Terry Evenson, a very good friend of my father and my mother, um, helped them get into the business. But as opportunity presented themselves, um, Terry was a huge supporter of our family. was a also a Hallmark greeting card operator. So through those relationships and partnerships, collaborations, um, we were able to open up stores in some of the regional shopping centers. So it didn't all happen overnight, but. We went from one store to two stores, and that first store only lasted 18 months due to the location of where we were at, our clientele, and some of the things that were going on in mm-hmm. 1973
0: on 7th and Hennepin. Wow. And that mentorship, that business mentorship, that is something that we see today is still critical for the success of a business. Would you say? Definitely, and, and I think Frederick now
2: especially um, has been – uh very active in mentoring other businesses um I know he's had uh some you have to tell me what are those uh
1: well some of the chambers um, right get involved in in various chambers um chamber
0: of commerce chamber of commerce, mm-hmm.
1: um I was the chair of the Minnesota Black Chamber of Commerce for many years, and um that opened up the door for meeting new up-and-coming businesses and creating those opportunities. And like I said, I go back to our parents always instilling in us to always give back, always give back, always give back, and to reach out a helping hand to the next generation or other operators to help assist them to get into the business.
0: And Lisa, what did you do in the stores when you were young? What kind of work did you do? Everything.
2: So I started actually legally working when I was 14. (laughs) And that was at the Minnehaha Mall store uh, over there on Lake Street. And we had a store there. I, you know, we, cashiering, stocking, anything that you had to do there, if that meant taking out the trash, you did that too. And so that's where I started um, in the stores at that level.
0: How did that shape your personality? So you are now going to high school, but you're working uh, when you're not in class.
2: Definitely. Well, it makes you responsible and you have to be able to learn how to juggle different things, your homework, your schoolwork, um, and, and being, being at, at the job and then learning, you know, the job from, you know, the ground up, everything that it takes to run that, that store. So I think that it helped me, you know, in school and just as an individual to, you know, realize the importance of, um, you know, managing your time,
0: your money, a lot of things, mm-hmm. and then you have to watch little brother. What What do you remember about? Oh, working <laughs> next to <him>? oh. <laughs> And I love
2: Frederick to death, but um, a four year age difference. You're four years four years mm-hmm. four years apart. I was a little mean to him when I was older, younger. He was younger, um, but I love him now.
0: And so, at that point, or at what point did you guys get the? the idea or did your parents ever make it a statement to you? Like we expect you to continue to run this business or was it, was it talked about that way?
1: You know, it, um, no, it wasn't. Uh-uh. It was there was never an expectation that we had to, um, step into their shoes and to continue the growth of this opportunity or this business. Rather, they always gave us the opportunity to follow our own dreams um, if you wanted to be a part of this business, it's here for you to do that. But as Lisa mentioned, they wanted us to learn the business from the ground up, which we did, which was challenging, but it, but you know, there was a lot of different skill sets that were instilled in us of responsibility, commitment, work ethic, all of those things that Lisa mentioned. However, when it came down to as we got older, into our 20s, if we really wanted to be a part of this business, it was always an option for us. There was never, I don't ever recall having any pressure put on us, but for myself, it was I felt the honor to continue what they have started because one thing they were very transparent with us is the challenges they went through from nineteen seventy three to the current when they were operating the, operating the business, and I felt a sense of responsibility to continue that um, continue that legacy and to continue to, to grow the business.
0: If you're just joining us, we're talking about family businesses. Are you part of a family that owns or used to own a business? Do you work there? What systems are in place to make sure things run smoothly? What causes problems within the family as you work together to run that business? I'm talking to Frederick Estes and Lisa Estes of Estes Enterprises, learning about their family and their story. The phone lines are open. Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, the number is 651-227-6000. Or you can call 800-242-2828. So, Frederick, how did the family business end up expanding into airports uh, back in the late 1980s? Um, I'm sure that was a a big step because you go from being in, um, you know, storefronts in the city and in malls and now into airports. How did that come about?
1: Well, it's a great question. It was... um Prior to that, there were very few, if any, minority and women-owned businesses within airports. What you would see prior to the mid-'80s were you would see shoeshine, shoeshine stands. Um, But there were many small women and minority-owned businesses that would attempt to get into airports. However, due to their size, due to the cost, due to the different obstacles and, and challenges in running in an airport, many of those small businesses couldn't compete with the multi-billion dollar companies around the, co- around the country. Mm-hmm. So back in the early 80s is when the Civil Rights Department um, re- looked into the industry of airports and aviation and opportunities and created an organization um, that made it so that, since this is a government entity, that every RFP or opportunity that came out in airports needed to have a representation of either women or minority-owned businesses, because to that point, there weren't any. And in the mid-'80s is when that opportunity came, MSP uh, Airport, International Airport, they put out a – RFP, and they were looking for minority and women-owned businesses here in the Twin Cities, and we happened to be one of those small operators uh, running several stores. And my parents had some conversations and were able to create this opportunity. Out at at MSP,
0: and so this is um, a, a program called the Department of Transportation's Airport Concessions Disadvantaged Business Enterprise Program. Mm-hmm. So, how old were you then, Frederick? Uh, did you sort of lead that effort? Are you an adult at that point, or are you still a, a youngin?
1: <laughs> so the first the first <laughs> um, the first store that opened up in the airport was in 1987. So no, I was I was actually in college. So Lisa actually drove. Um, that first store, and she was the um, spearhead and making sure that that store got up and running. So I'm sure she has right. several what was comments. that
0: Like Lisa and going into the airport with a you know a gift shop, a con- sort of like a convenience store. Right. right? It
2: was overwhelming um, because it, it's it's the same, but it's different. Because in airports we we're just different people in airports. I definitely, think. <laughs> definitely. And the traffic's different. Uh, the product, of course, is sli- is slightly different. And tell us about the products. What what do you find in these stores? Well, you know, t-shirts, uh, souvenirs, magazines, books, something um, to drink, snacks. something to drink, snacks, right. all of those things. And granted, you know, I'd been in the Hallmark stores working with those for 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 many years, but this time just a little bit different how we needed to operate at the airport. So I remember that that first month, I was there every day, 12 hours a day. And you're um, in your 20s. Yes, I just graduated from the University of Minnesota. And uh that was my baby. And so we got that up and running, Um, learned from some of the people that were out there and got into that process of hiring and you know, getting additional team members on. So it was fun. It was fun. It was a lot of work, though. It was a lot of work, but we got it done.
0: And then expansion came. So so now there's the initial location in the International Airport here. And then what happens? Well, then, uh, unfortunately, in
2: 1994, uh, five, my mother passed Six. away. 90, mm-hmm. And um, I, I decided that, you know, and that, I think that was just a turning point for me that I needed to move on and do something different. And so as you're aware, I went
0: and well, I actually went back to school to be a mortician. And so and let me pause you that why would uh, Lisa Estes go back to school to study mortuary science?
2: Because I wanted to help somebody. And, um, and you had a family connection. and we have a
0: family connection. My uncle,
2: Richard Estes had Estes funeral homes. So I ended up going to work for him, but while there got the opportunity at the hennepin county medical examiner 's office and have been there ever since. Frederick is the one who transitioned to getting the additional stores mm-hmm. um, at the airports in Minneapolis and in tampa
0: but I want to pause you right there um that had to be a moment i mean losing your mother. And then making a career change to leave the family business.
2: It was very difficult. I didn't want to feel like I was abandoning my dad and my brother. But I think that was just a real turning point. It, I just was just ready. I needed a change and mm-hmm. just really felt that need to, to help others in a different way. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was hard because I didn't want to let them down. But they're fully capable. And they did, and and made great strides.
0: Frederick, were you nervous when Lisa made the decision I'm going to leave this in your hands and go do something else?"
1: You know, no, I wasn't nervous. We were um, very supportive of Lisa, and I think that's the one thing growing up in our family. Um, like my parents always gave us the option to whether or not to be in the business or not. It was a It was a very uh, challenging time for the whole family. <clears throat> excuse me, after my mother passed and we truly understood that Lisa wanted to make that change and that that was her heart's desire and we wanted to su- support her in that. Um, knew that it was going to be the dynamics of the business would change, um, how we operated some would change a little bit, bringing in some other folks to help us manage the business. But um, we were very supportive of her and um, that we were able to do that. And
0: she's done so well.
1: Yes. She and and, and, she,
0: and I'm sure she still keeps you in check, right? Yes, we still have conversations. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's not yes. going to change. Right?
1: No,
0: no. <laughs> All no. right, we're talking about family <laughs> businesses. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Frederick Estes and Lisa Estes of Estes Enterprises, but also want to hear about your experiences. Are, are you part of a family that owns or used to own a business? Do you work there? What systems are in place to make sure things are running smoothly? What causes problems? Uh, give us a call at 651 227 6000, or you can call 800 242 2828. What are your thoughts about family businesses? In St. Paul, uh, we have a listener on the line. This is Tom, who's calling in. Good morning, Tom. What do you want to ask or share with us?
3: Well, I wanted to share that one of the biggest challenges in family businesses is maintaining the family relationship so that business differences don't do that. So you have to build the emotional equity of your family while you're simultaneously building the equity of the company. And the Estes family is, you know, personifies the positive characteristics of a family, and that's the so they're their secret sauce and what's made them so successful is the quality of their, their positive family relationships, their loving family relationships. And the fact that uh, Frederick and Lisa basically love their parents and lived out their parents' legacy and did all the things that their parents wanted them to do. So it's really, they're really, uh, you know, a picture, picture book family business.
0: So, Tom, you know the family? Did, did you know uh, Frederick and Lisa's parents?
3: Oh, I did. I, you know, Frederick, uh, his dad, basically, and I were buddies in Rotary, and that's how I got to know the family. And then my daughter worked for Lisa out at the airport, and then I did some work with them doing the initial transition from Fred, uh Fred, to Frederick and Lisa.
0: And so, what do you think has been helpful, or what did did you want to share with them to, you know, make sh- sure that they were successful?
3: I think, you know, the importance of maintaining, and you know, their positive family relationships and the values that their parents taught them. And I think that's what's made them successful, and that's going to continue to help them be successful going into the future. And I assume that, that Lisa, you know, may not work there, but she's an owner, and, uh, and so they have a collaborative effort mm-hmm. that they're, you know, maintaining their positive family relationships while they have this successful, very successful company.
0: Well, thank you. That's Tom calling in from St. Paul. And you guys are smiling. You, you, you know, Tom, what was what was Tom's uh, role in, in helping your parents or in helping you through all of this?
1: You know, I want to thank Tom for the call and um, truly thank him for his efforts, because he was such an inspirational um, mentor for us and helped us as a family to create a safe space to have conversations, because working in the family business you have emotions from family, then you have emotions from work, and the crossover can always be challenging to balance it's a very fine um balancing act that you have to create and Tom helped us by sitting down with our family as a unit to create that safe space so that when we 're at home we're talking to parents when we're at work we're talking to our supervisors and Who's answering that question? Is that mom and dad answering the question or is it our supervisor? Because how you interpret that or how you receive it can create emotions and can create tension. But Tom Mm -hmm. helped us find that safe balance there so that we could have that um, opportunity to speak openly about family, but then speak openly about business, too, because Lisa and I were a different generation. There's different ways we wanted to run the business Parents wanted to run it a separate way, so Tom really was just uh, a huge, huge mentor and support for us. And I think that's why, as I mentioned before at our anniversary reception, why we're still here because he helped us create that foundation of communication.
0: One of you told the story at the celebration about uh, the rules at the dinner table when you were growing up. That your, I think it was your mother, made it very clear: this is dinner. Yeah, I'm your mama, and we have family. Conversations. So how right. does that, tell me about that, how that, how did you enforce that rule? Or how did, did she
1: enforce that? Well, you know, as a mother, <laughs> if <laughs> she did, puts her foot down and she boys, says, you better this just is listen what, to her. That's right. And this is her dinner table. This is her house. And she did not want that to be turned into a board meeting. Wanted to make it very clear that there was, it was going to be family time. This is family time. Leave the work at the front door. Leave it outside. Don't bring that in the house. So that was something that was really helpful because it forced us to not bring all of the challenges or the concerns that you have from running a business into the home.
0: And, Lisa, what were your conversations like with your father, again, at that uh, airport, the first store at the airport? Um, did you have times where you have to say, am I talking to you, Dad, or, or mm-hmm. am I talking to you as, as owner? <laughs> definitely, definitely. But, again, as Frederick was saying, Tom helped
2: us uh, with that. Um, you know, it is that different generation. And, and my father, love him to death, but he always wanted to be Dad. So, can't turn that off. He can't. He can't. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 I learned to kind of work around that so that, you know, it's like, okay, Dad, this and, and I of course I always still call them dad, but you know, we have to, you know we have to come at it and you have to respect um my input on there, you know, as a as someone who works for you, but you know, I have good ideas too and and don't see it as this is my daughter talking to me, it's somebody and else. Times
0: are changing too. Isn't there also a story technology upgrades, right? At oh my some goodness, point Sam. having to move from I'm, I'm thinking in journalism, typewriters to computers, but did technology uh, advances did that that creates some tension too? Or? Well, definitely, even with the uh,
2: the the at the other stores, you know, we have these computers or the cash registers that yeah. are tied right. into to everything. Um, so it,
0: so those it, it conversations were memorable going oh, from uh, traditional he, typewriter. He'd I mean, keep the
2: typewriter. he right. keep
0: the typewriter.
1: Typewriter, the fax machine, the computer. <laughs> right. And to the point where he wanted us to check his, his uh, email for him. So, right. yeah, there was a transition. So did you period. push
0: back like, nope? Dad, you got to learn how to check your own email.
1: He finally did. We <laughs> had to push and so that we could get those computers and update our POS register system so that more tracking capabilities for us. So there was a there was a transition there with tech, technology.
0: Right. We're talking about family businesses uh are, are you part of a family business? Give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. And Bemidji, Elizabeth is on the phone. Good morning, Elizabeth. What do you want to ask or share with us as we talk about being a part of a family business?
4: Well, I would like to share the fact that uh, my husband and I are both congenitally blind, and we began a greeting card service under the trademark of Manutips, and it's a registered trademark in the Library of Congress. And we are both African-American, and because Braille is such an expensive way to produce any type of material, equipment and all of that was always a real financial stress and strain. And my husband was employed, I was employed as a caseworker, and we had to solicit the help of my sighted sister, who is now deceased, who worked tirelessly with us doing our paperwork, filing our income tax for us, and helping with all of the print part of the Braille greeting cards. And I would do all of the embossing of the Braille. And as technology moved in, everything changed. Computers had to be changed. Mm -hmm. Braille embossers start on the production level 10 $25,000. So when my sister passed away in November of 97, it just became very difficult to continue to even upgrade into different computers, and Mm -hmm. I had to really scale back to less than 10% of what I was doing.
0: So, Elizabeth, that you have this uh, the relationship with your sister and obviously your husband, that there was trust there. And so you haven't oh, been able to, to find uh, other people to help you run the business now in the same way?
4: No, we were not. And mm-hmm. even when my sister was assisting us, it was just like a three-man operation. Mm-hmm. I was president, my husband vice, and my sister was secretary. And we were all registered. And the problem, too, is the upgrade of equipment. Mm -hmm. And so basically, it was always a labor of love Mm -hmm. because as a child, I grew up with my parents, sisters, and friends giving me a print greeting card and had to read it to me.
0: Mm -hmm. And your business, Elizabeth, it's called, what's the name of it?
4: It is Slaughter Enterprises.
0: Slaughter Enterprises. Thank you. That's Elizabeth in Bemidji. She called it a, a labor of love. Is that what you would call? (laughs) Definitely
1: Definitely. a lot of labor.
0: Is is it a labor of love as you look back, um, Frederick?
1: Yes, I would say it is a labor of love. It's a, um, as I mentioned at our reception a few weeks ago, it was, it's been a long journey. It's been a long journey. There's been some mountaintops, there's been some valleys, but I wouldn't change any of it because during that journey, there's been so many life lessons that have been taught to myself how... I work with our team. How I conduct myself with other organizations, businesses, family—it it is a labor of love. It can be challenging, though. But you know, life isn't always easy. It's not always a cakewalk. There's going to be some the valleys and the and the mountaintops, and in the valleys where where I've learned the most during those challenging times. All and right. to, to our caller, mm-hmm. talking about that transition of technology, well, we're somewhat in a transitional period right now, too, uh, with technology, what we see across the country now, just with self-checkouts, everything. You see the way oh, many yeah. businesses I like the are transitioning. don't A lot of people that. don't. A lot of people don't, but a lot of people <laughs> really appreciate it, too, right. because they can get in and get out very quickly. Do you now, have self-checkout? We're in the process of bringing them in mm-hmm. right now. In the right.
0: In Park Rapids, one of our listeners is on the phone. This is James. Good morning, James. And what's going on in Park Rapids?
5: Oh, good morning. Hi.
0: Um, uh, yeah,
5: my uh, wife and five kids, uh, and I bought a resort about two years ago. It's our second season. Um, and so as I hear Frederick and Lisa talk about their experiences with the family, it's really fun and exciting we're at the very beginning of this process right um i think we're a little bit in the honeymoon period and looking towards um hopefully a long history of working together as a family it's been a joy to get to do this together as a group we bought a turn of the century fishing resort that had been not in operation for the last 20 years and we got it up and running over the last two seasons and so um a different kind of business but nonetheless as i hear frederick and Luke talk about a little bit of the Ooh. Joy and stewardship, it's really exciting to me at the beginning of this and James. looking for advice on, you know, what to expect in the future.
0: Yeah, James, tell me how old uh, the children are. You say you have five children. What's the age range?
5: Well, our oldest is 19 and our youngest is eight.
0: Oh, got it all going so all there. All are
5: active contributors uh, uh-huh. in the <laughs> business right now from okay. either you know, significant contributions to at least the little guys or at least cleaning out the bathhouse or, you know, running mm. errands
0: for. All right. Uh, a fishing resort. Uh, Lisa, any um, advice that comes to mind on, on how James and, and and his wife and these five kids can have peace a, peaceful dinner conversations <laughs> and still get the work done? Right. How exciting. <laughs> uh, thanks for calling in.
2: Oh, that is um,
0: exciting. You know, this is
2: different different types of businesses but the same thing you know you have your youngest like you said they're starting to learn the basics um and as you know they transition you know the the life lessons that you're going to be able to give them when running the business is going to really help you all succeed. It is important, though, um, as Frederick was mentioning, you know, to have that family time where you're not talking about work and, and the challenges of the day or, or the positives, but, you know, just to, to just teach the kids and um, um, have them be a part of every aspect of the business and um, what about you will the, succeed. What about the older ones? They said the oldest is 19, and what does the oldest one do? What kind of work? I
0: don't
5: in New York at Fordham, and he's back in the summer kind of having a, a the, the tale of two cities, right? So a
0: college student coming in, back and forth. Okay.
5: Yeah, so out in Fordham in the Bronx in the wintertime and then comes back to the north woods of Minnesota in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been kind of our doing a lot of carpentry work. He's been blazing trails. Um, Literally, uh, finding deer trails and cutting out paths so guests can have a a, a walking and jogging trail in that process. It's been real fun. He's been real engaged in in, and enjoying that process. Each one of the kids has found their own little bit of a niche of what they want to focus on and do at the resort. And we have plenty of work to do, so it's worked out really well.
0: And what is your oldest, what is he majoring in in college?
5: Uh, He's thinking he wants to do law, so he's studying English right now.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, Frederick, any advice for James?
1: Well, I want to congratulate James and his family for starting a business over the past two years, which I'm sure had to be extremely challenging mm-hmm. based off of us coming out of the pandemic. But it sounds like you are well on your way with the um, you, the way you articulated that each one of your children are, already has a niche that they're looking for. So you're identifying mm-hmm where their strong points are, what they want to do, and having them all engaged is uh, an exciting process of bringing this whole family business together. I think one thing that I would share is that my parents shared with us is open communication and sharing the positives as well as some of the negative or challenges that may come down the road with your um, with your resort. Because every day isn't going to be a great day. There's going to be some ups and downs. But the more they understand that, the more that they know what it takes to operate your own business, and I think you guys are well, definitely well on your way, and um, just really want to congratulate you on that.
0: I always feel like, well, they are that the children are always watching and listening and learning, and they're picking up also on, uh, particularly with, with their their parents, like what the relationship is—is is there joy? Do their parents, you know, how do they communicate with each other? And so, would there be some advice about that too? Or do you feel like you kind of remember this? Feeling that your parents um, had the affection they had for each other, as well as the you know their affection for you,
1: right? Well, they uh, they did have joy for uh, for the mm-hmm. business. They had affection toward themselves, toward each each other, um, for the family. We grew up in a very spiritual family, um, and it was very open that um, we would worship together, we would do things together, and I think that when we saw that translate into the business too, and how we worked with our team members, too, because our team members, not necessarily our employees, but their team members are an extension of our family, too. And Mm -hmm. growing up, seeing that just really gave me the passion to want to be a part of this business and you take ownership of it you take ownership like you said your eight-year-old uh, children they're cleaning some of the bathrooms <laughs> and whatnot so they're taking small steps to grow into the different operations and having that strong um, network and that foundation as a family is what can be translated into a business as well
0: all right. Well, James, uh, we wish uh, you and your family well in Park Rapids uh, at that uh, new fishing resort business. I-, I hope it goes well.
1: Can I can
5: I shout out my business? Or? Yeah,
0: tell me the name of it.
5: Sure, Wombolt's Cabins in Park Rapids. We're okay. on Upper Bottle Lake.
0: Okay, say that again and sp- and spell the name of it for me.
5: You bet. Wombolt's Cabins, W-A-M-B-O-L-T-S Cabins. It's uh, funded by Bud Wombolt in 1899 when he homesteaded the land and We're just trying to keep his legacy alive.
0: Great story. We wish you well. Thank you for calling in. Thanks so
5: much.
3: Thank you all. Appreciate it.
0: Family business. Uh, Lisa, I need to go back. Um, You said something earlier I want to revisit. You said when you made the decision to leave the family business uh, to do something else that you wanted to help somebody. Um, You didn't feel as though you were helping people by, you know, being a, 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 you know, a senior leader in the business, running the stores?
2: Yes, I did.
0: But... Um,
2: I always had this dream, um, that, and it, it sounds kind of corny. I used to watch Quincy when I was a little kid. What uh, was Quincy? Is that like a was detective? A, he was a medical examiner.
0: Oh, yes. Oh my gosh. A
2: TV show. Yes. Yes. yes and yes. always wanted to do that. Um, and like I say, after mom died, I don't know. It, it was just something that said, there's more that you can do with your life. Not that this wasn't an awesome opportunity, but I really felt the need that I needed to help others in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so again, with Mortuary Science, and then with the Medical Examiner's Office, um, just to be able to help those families who are going through the terrible loss of a family member, and walking them through those steps. It's not something people do every day. And I felt that that was my calling to, to help them figure out why their loved one had passed. And Tell me about your job. I, I
0: said you're an investigator with the Hennepin County Hennepin Medical, medical,
2: medical Examiner. So What's your job? All reportable deaths um, are reported to the medical examiner's office, trauma, injury, um, hospice, those different types of things. I take that call and say that there's a death, we'll just say in Bloomington, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I have to make that determination that I have to go out there examine uh, the decedent and meet with their family Mm -hmm. and discuss what the next steps are. Do they need to have an autopsy? Um, Sometimes I have to call uh, when we have someone that has passed and I have to try to find their next of kin Mm -hmm. and then notify them of the death, Mm -hmm. which if I don't have an address, I have to call them and tell them that. But I feel that what my parents have taught me, my faith, um, my love, for people. Uh, and again, my dad, he used to sing this song, because he was had a beautiful voice, if I can help somebody. And that's just always resonated with me. And the fact that I'm able to do that at the medical examiner's office is such a blessing.
0: Mm. I'm glad that you're there. Thank you. Yeah.
2: I'm glad I'm there, too. It's yeah. It's been a wonderful experience. And I have great great co-workers.
0: Lisa, when you talk uh, last week uh, on the phone with one of our producers, you, you mentioned that song um, and that you said it was very much uh, on your mind as you thought about leaving the business um, in the following years. Um, so we can play a little bit of it. We're going okay. uh, to listen uh, to If I Can Help Somebody, sung by Mahalia Jackson.
2: I can so in a
4: word are a soul
0: So I'm imagining maybe your parents, maybe your dad, humming that song. That's a song that's um, you know been very special to many people for many years. Uh, particularly, I think I've even grown up in the in the black church in Southern Virginia. Uh, if I can help somebody, um, what was the special significance to to your dad? Like you both have memories of him singing that song or humming that song. Oh, he sang. He sang. He you sang. said he had a voice.
2: That's right. He does. He's got a CD out. He made a CD before he passed away. <laughs> um, it. He, he. I can't even explain it. Um, you know, he
1: he uh, grew up in a family, his um, three siblings and, and uh, his mother, my grandmother, they had their own uh, little quartet group growing up um, in the small town of Baxter Springs, Kansas. So they would go all around <laughs> Kansas singing. And when he moved here... Um, he continued that he continued singing in numerous different um, choirs at our church. And one little secret that very few people know—some know—but now that if I put it out on the radio, many are going to know that growing up in junior high and high school, our alarm clock for Lisa and I was my father singing at six a.m. in the morning until yep. six thirty <laughs> every morning. He would and a different know, song. Well, he would he would have a medley. He would just go <laughs> from one to the other, and that was his practice, and that was his. Um, <laughs> That was his time for meditation and prayer. Um, You know, we didn't really respect it back then or appreciate it, but in hindsight, looking back, I mean, it was such a beautiful memory that we have of our father singing from six a.m. to six thirty every morning. He'd get on He'd that get piano and play yeah. and sing. Beautiful voice and beautiful pianist too.
0: Okay, the important <clears throat> thing to, to remember: he had a beautiful voice. Not all dads have beautiful no. voices, right? <laughs> this is true.
1: This is true. Some That's dads need to stay in the shower. I'm one, it didn't. It didn't that translate did it. to me. Right.
0: And so, um, so I'm sure Lisa uh, over the years, or maybe not. Um, you know, in many ways, you also are continuing the family legacy, even though you're doing something completely different now, and that you're, you're being true to yourself. Definitely. Right? And
2: I think uh, the love and kindness, um, the wanting to help others, I may not be doing it on this side, but I'm, I'm doing it over here um, mm-hmm. at the medical examiner's office. And um, it, it it, you know, it's like I said, it sounds cliche, but that's all i want to do is to help these families mm-hmm. um through a very difficult point in their life and i'm glad that i have the opportunity to do that and i know mom and dad would be proud
0: as we talk about family uh owned businesses mm-hmm. and and moving on to the you know next generation carrying carrying on the tradition frederick uh earlier you talked about valleys and uh mountains and life lessons uh Let's talk about what the pandemic did to the economy, what it must have done to your businesses when people didn't fly, were discouraged to fly for a long time. The airports were empty. So what was going on in the stores when the airports were empty?
1: You know, right before the pandemic hit in March of 2020, I was at a airport conference and there was a, a... Large concern, of course, of what we were seeing in other countries. And when I returned back the first couple weeks of March, we could see declining sales, we could see declining traffic. And, you know, it, it was almost we were in awe of what was actually happening. And Everything, it was like a tidal wave. Everything came to a screeching halt. And on March 20th of 2020, I had to make the extremely difficult challenge or or decision, that is, of closing down all of our stores. Um, We just didn't have the traffic there. I mean, you could go bowling Mm -hmm. through a concourse because there was no one there other than uh, the staff for the airport, the maintenance staff there. So that was a challenge. So it was a learning process, excuse me, going forward from that, trying to reach out to You know, whether it's bankers, accountants, whether it's um, attorneys trying to understand what is going to happen, working with the airport too, working with other small businesses at MSP to try to find out what are we going to do to manage through this difficult time? How are we going to because at that point, the government was still trying to figure out what was happening and how they were going to support and try to help all these different um, businesses while. Tragically, many, many people are losing their lives. So you, it made
0: it, you made it through. Is there something in particular mm-hmm. you think your parents taught you that that made it possible for you to get through this in the way that you did?
1: You know, the resilience of my parents, what they've been through. They've never been through anything like this. But as I mentioned at our uh, reception, too, it was a very emotional night for me. But it was something that my parents would always say. And I told them I could hear them talking to me each and every day. God did not bring us this far to leave us now. Mm-hmm. And I kept replaying that over and over, and I could hear them speaking it to me each and every day. And that's where I found my peace. And that's where I found my peace to just know that this is going to work out somehow, some way. I didn't know what the next step was going to be. I didn't know what was going to come tomorrow. But through a collaboration of working with other small business operators, with um Diff- the airport, trying to figure out the next steps, we were to create a path together so that we could rebound. And trying to start those businesses back up was um, probably harder than starting a new business because there was the fear of people coming back, mm-hmm. too.
0: Well, you're still here. You're still standing. Right. You're still right. succeeding. And what a beautiful example you are um to all businesses here in Minnesota I want to thank you for your time our time is up now uh, we've been talking with Fred Estes the president of Estes Enterprises a business that was started by his parents Fred and Erlene Estes as well as Lisa Estes also Frederick's sister who uh, served as a senior vice president for many years with the company. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed getting Thank to know you, you. so much. This Thank you, moment. Angela. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom and made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. It's part of our North Star Journey series. If you want to hear more, read more, go to nprnews.org and look for the North Star Journey link.